chapter 16. Let's, uh, let's look at verse number one. We read, we read a portion of this already, and so we're going to read, read some of it again, and we're going to deal with a little different part. But in verse number one, and when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun, and they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here Behold the place where they laid him, but go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee, there shall ye see him, as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher, for they trembled and were amazed, neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Notice verse number nine. Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene out of whom he had cast seven devils. If you were paying attention this morning, we, we put special emphasis, or we notice the emphasis that Scripture puts in verse number seven on calling out Peter. The message needs to be delivered to the group of them, but specifically Peter. Here, there is special emphasis given to whom Jesus appeared first. That's pointed out on purpose. Now, when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And she went and told them that had been with him as they mourned and wept. And they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. Here's the thought. God doesn't need your approval to use who he wants. I understand that's not a clever title, but it's the thought that we need to get tonight. God doesn't need your approval to use who he wants. It speaks to his greatness, but it needs, it needs to serve as a warning to us that we don't miss opportunities in people's lives and in our own life that he is sending our way because God cares about people across the spectrum whether or not you and I value them, cares about people, and he wants to work in people's lives. You may be seated. Man, the teen girls did such a good job this morning. I'm like, hey, good job. Sing again tonight, hallelujah. And depending on how they do now, I might make them sing again tomorrow night, amen. And after that, we might be cutting a CD, amen. We'll just see how it goes. This is a good song, so enjoy it. Listen to them as they sing it out.
right, very thankful for you. Glad it's, it is the last blood, no more sacrifices are necessary, and that, man, that is a blessing. Well, how many of you know what it's like to have a, a long day get even longer, or even sometimes have a day go from bad to worse? Have you ever, have you ever been in that? You ever been running late and then your vehicle wouldn't start? You ever be running late and put on your suit? And then realize there's a stain all over it. You ever spill coffee on your suit in your office? You ever bust your zipper when you're up here? <laughs> now, most of y'all can't relate to that. And I, um, I, had a, I had a meeting after church on Wednesday night, and it, it was good, and it just it went a while. I needed to stop back by the office, and it was like 11 o'clock. And so I, I come into the office... And when I opened the office door, I was expecting the alarm beep to go off. You know, like, beep, and it doesn't go off. I'm like, oh, no, what's happening? And so I slowly just creep in, and I see Miss Roth and Afiavi sitting on the floor with Setefano. And they're just, they're just sitting there. And Miss Rothana has this, like, I just been caught. <laughs> I've been I've been busted, look. And so I'm like, what, are, are you okay? And I come in, and there are these two reprobates <laughs> named Feovi and, and Andrew, and their offspring are filling up my office with balloons. <laughs> because it's obviously April Fool's Day, and they got busted. I'm like, I'm a prophet. Don't mess. God knows. Don't mess with No, 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 no. And, it's, and brother, brother Andrew made this statement. Are you serious? What pastor comes by his office at 11 o'clock on Wednesday after he's been at church all day? I'm like, the committed ones, brother. No. Man, it's just, he works so hard, and it's just a bummer, isn't it? Like, man, we had him set up, and then it's, and then it was really bad because I made Miss Joanna pop them all. Like, I hired you. I ain't cleaning this mess up. So, sort of, I'm kidding. I, I, I helped a little bit. And you just, sometimes you have these things that you think are going to go a certain way and then it just, it goes so poorly or goes so much differently than what you were expecting. And as we talked about this morning, and you're familiar with this text, Mary Magdalene and then Mary, the mother of Christ, and James and Joseph, as the text says, they come and, and they're already heavy hearted because they've watched Jesus die but they're going to come and they're going to finish the, the burial preparation process. Jesus was buried with haste and therefore his body wasn't prepared as it would have typically been according to their custom. And so they come back to take care of that. But when, as they're making their way, they're concerned about how they're going to remove the stone. Hallelujah, that turned out not to be a problem. And so they show up, and they're in the place of the stone. The stone rolled away. They're in the place of Jesus' body, which they were expecting to find. They see an angel who delivers them this amazing news 
that Jesus is risen as he says. Now, after that, and they hear that Jesus is risen, they are still afraid. Look at verse number 8. They went out quickly and and fled from the sepulcher, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. So it uses the word affrighted twice. It uses the word trembled, literally shaking. It uses the word amazed, which isn't impressed. They are shocked. And then it, it says that they specifically are afraid. These women are shaken to their core at what's happened. And, and they've heard the message, and they're going their way. But they are still obviously rattled by what has taken place. Now, now, just for a moment, imagine that you have watched him die. You have watched this terrible death where a man, an innocent man, was, uh, was beaten and scarred and wounded and his body just ripped with a whip and he was buffeted and spit upon. He was nailed to a cross and then you watched him as he died. You saw his body perhaps taken down by Joseph. You saw him be wrapped and then he was placed in this tomb. You knew where he was laid. So the last that you know, you are certain that he is dead. And then you come in and you see this angel telling you that he's risen. Listen, we can, we can be critical of their struggle with this, but it doesn't matter how much you've heard, no, I'm going to rise again. After you watch him die that way, you're going to be shocked to see what you have seen. And they're, they're more than shocked. They are terrified. And it's, it's as though, in part, I'm not pretending to understand everything that motivated him, but the Lord, being God and knowing what was going on and, and seeing in them a desire to believe, but also understanding the weakness of their flesh and their struggle. He wanted to give them some affirmation. So at some point after leaving there and then making their way, we come to verse number nine. He appears to Mary Magdalene. So she sees Jesus and then everything is okay. He brings peace. He brings calm. He brings certainty, he brings confidence that everything that she has been told, that she was told by Jesus before his death, that she was told if in fact she was privy to that, if the things that the angel had told her when she entered the tomb and saw him there, everything that she has been told and had heard is now affirmed because she has seen him. Imagine the relief that had to come over her. Just It had to wash over her like a cool breeze, like a refreshing drink on a hot day. That, that everything is going to be okay because not only have I been told that he's alive by an angel sitting in the tomb where he was, now I have seen the risen Savior. It had to be amazing relief to know that you're okay, to know that everything is going to be all right. But what's interesting to me beyond that is why the text takes special interest in pointing out that in verse number 9, when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared, what's the next word? First, to Mary. Now, I'm not saying that she wasn't important, but this is what I am saying is that she wasn't considered to be the most 
important. Women at that time were not held in, in the regard that, please get this, women were not held in the regard that God created them to be held in. And she was a woman with serious baggage because notice what it, what it says at the end of verse number 9. He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. So this was a woman who before Jesus had dealt with serious demonic oppression and what those side effects looked like, we can get some idea just by looking at other accounts of people who were afflicted with demonic oppression and what that would have produced. But here, here is a woman, and then here is a woman who was formerly demon-possessed in the greatest news in all the world. We understand that all of these things for Jesus to be our Savior were necessary. It was necessary that he come as a virgin, or come born of a virgin. It was necessary that he live a sinless life. It was necessary that he die on the cross. And it was necessary that he rise again. And when he rose again, that completed the redemptive process. It was done. The work of salvation was finished and it was made available to everyone everywhere for all time. Whoever would believe and those that had believed before he died were benefiting from it. And those that had be would believe after his resurrection, they were benefiting from it. He finished the work. It's wonderful. I like it. It was all done. And so now, the first person he appears to. Now, there are some other people that were going to play a pivotal role in the spread of the gospel, that were going to play a critical role in building on the church that he started. There were some people that were going to have, that were going to have significant voices in reaching thousands. And he didn't tell any of them first. He told a woman who had been demon-possessed before she met him. She, this woman is tasked with delivering the most important news in the world at that moment. So in this, there are two things that we are reminded of about Jesus. Number one, and you know this, but I don't get tired of this. And it's easy to, to believe it as an idea, but then we, we need to make sure that we're putting it into practice in the way that we interact with people. Okay, so let, let me give you an example. Tonight, the kids demonstrated an idea. I don't want to help you pick up your toys. No, but the Bible says I need to be helpful, and that's not just for the poor people. That's for everybody, so I need to help you. That's an idea that we're trying to ingrain in them. You know what needs to happen? They need to actually put it into practice in real life at their house. <laughs> so this point that I'm about to give you, you, you understand it as an idea. It's easy to say amen to, but we need to make sure that it's affecting the way we interact with people. Are you ready? Jesus can rescue anyone. No, there is, there is no one that is beyond the reach of Jesus being able to rescue them. And you say, well, what, well wait, hang on, hang on. What about, what about the sin that the Bible talks about and for which there, there is no forgiveness for? I believe that that has to do with rejecting Jesus Christ. You sin against the Holy Ghost by rejecting the one that he testifies to. And you and I are not qualified to be the judge of who is and who isn't there. That's a matter of the heart before God. We're just supposed to assume that if they have breath, that God wants them to get saved. 
oh wait, wait a minute, why should we assume that? Because the Bible says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so he wouldn't have this expectation and this standard if that were beyond his ability. That's a good way to say that. He would not have this standard or expectation if it were beyond his ability to accomplish it. I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to me. All should, all should put their faith in me. He wouldn't, he wouldn't have that expectation or that standard if he weren't capable of doing that. Okay? So you have this woman who is demon-possessed, and now she, her life has been changed. And this is what we know. The crucified and risen Christ can reach anybody. Oh, it, it, it doesn't matter how hard they have been. If they have life, and if their heart will be humble before God, they can be reached. Mm. It doesn't matter how many times they've said no to the gospel. If they have life, and if they'll humble their hearts before God, they can be reached. It doesn't matter how many things they've ruined in their life. If they'll humble their heart before God and they'll seek him, they can be reached and their life can be changed. It doesn't matter how many things they've messed up. It doesn't matter how weird things have gotten in their life. It doesn't matter how many times they've, been, they've failed or been failed. It doesn't matter how many times they've been in some kind of stupor through an addiction or a substance. It doesn't matter how wayward their life has become in the, drudge, the drudges of sin. It doesn't matter where they've been. If they have life, then they can be reached. I believe that. God can rescue anyone. Man, and just think about where you came from. And I, I don't think, I don't think you, okay, let me, re, let me start this over. Any salvation testimony is an amazing testimony. You know what I'm thankful for seeing some of these kids up here? They're evidence of cycles that have been broken. And they, they, they have been saved from the same sin nature, but they haven't had to experience the same cycles and consequences that their parents have experienced. And to that I say, that's not a boring testimony. That's the grace of God, hallelujah. Man, mm, I love it. I enjoyed Brother Max give, talking a little bit about the influence of his wife carrying him coming to Jesus Christ. And then just having his daughter up here singing and her life being just kind of different than his life was because of Jesus. That's not a bad testimony. You don't need to go experience sin and all of its damage to have a good testimony, hallelujah. Mm. But there are some that have been saved out of, not, not just the internal, but they have been saved out of the physical muck and mire that a sinful life produces. And it's amazing what God does. It's amazing how he changes you. I mean, you just heard our brother and sister up here talking about the devastation and the brokenness and the, the anxiety and the stress and the fear that had set in their lives because of the disappointment and the heartache. And then uh, of all things, a lady with child shows up and how God uses them to deliver the gospel and their lives were forever, radically, eternally changed. I'm telling you, he can, he can salvage anybody. It's good stuff. But here's the, here's the next point. Jesus will use anyone. Okay. Using a woman was 
extremely counterculture in that time. Let me just read a few points to you about uh, from an article called Women's Rights in the New Testament Times. This, the social condition of women in the first century had been radically altered from that of their ancient sisters. If you go back and study this in depth, you'll find that women in the Old Testament were held in higher regard in some cases than women in the New Testament. But, but as the religious establishment, you remember how Jesus was constantly combating the religious establishment about adding to the law of God and making it impossible to know God, making it impossible to walk with God, and you're just using this religious system to oppress people. Part of the people that were being oppressed were women. And so the condition of women in the first century had been radically altered from that of their ancient sisters. I'm not, even in the Old Testament, there are problems that would have been obvious that deviated from the standing God would want them to have. But it had changed. Here's just a few points. Women were not allowed to testify in court. You know how it talks about eyewitnesses? A woman in a court would not be considered to be a valid eyewitness. Customarily, a woman even of stature could not engage in commerce and would rarely be seen outside of her home. The women of the first century did not even do their own shopping except possibly to go out to buy material which she would use to construct her own clothing at home. The women recounted in the New Testament were possibly, in some or maybe all cases, illiterate since the rabbis did not consider it incumbent upon women to learn to read in order to study the scriptures. They could go to the temple, but they couldn't venture beyond the confines of the women's court. Hey, pay attention to this. In, in reading about the, the temple that Solomon built, do you remember God giving any plans for a particular woman's court? You know why you don't remember it? Because he didn't. You say, well, where did that come from? The corrupt hearts of power-hungry men who wanted to use a religious system to en enhance and entrench their own power rather than using it to help people know God. The view of women, of women's roles, and of women's value was degraded to a very, very low estate. But just because that's how a culture views you doesn't mean that's what you are. Oh, come on. Come on. Look, I don't, I don't want to constantly, I, I, I try not to be like, say amen here. But just because a culture views you that way, that does not mean that's who you are. I love, I absolutely love, contrary to what, how radical and ridiculous the feminist movement is and how they want to dog Christianity, Jesus elevated women. You lift them up. Not just Jewish women. Oh, no, you remember in John 4, the disciples what are you doing going through Samaria? That, that's a race we want to avoid, and that's a gender that we want to avoid. And he goes there specifically to have a conversation with a Samaritan woman, and she says, you have no dealings with those of us who are Samaritans. 
And basically, without quoting it, I'm not those guys. I'm someone different. And I'm here with truth that will change your life. The woman that was caught in adultery, these women that we're reading about that ministered to him, just because they were viewed a certain way does not mean that God viewed them that way. Not only that, but because of the difficulty of her past. Let's just be honest. If you're thinking about someone that you're going to put into a position of leadership, and I'm not, I'm not making light of this, but remember some of the accounts in, in the Gospels about people who were demon-possessed throwing themselves into the fire, running around graveyards and not being able to be contained by chains. And, and then Jesus comes along and he rescues them. But is your inclination going to be to use that person that just a little bit ago was a raving lunatic and hurting themselves and being a threat to others? Or are you going to be more inclined, even though they now seem to have found stability, are you going to be more inclined to use those people that kind of fit the mold of what you think is a stable and useful person? Well, you know what human nature is, whether you will admit it or not, that your inclination will be, if you're picking the people that you're going to put to the greatest use, you're not going to pick the people that have been this and had this affliction. You're going to pick these over here that don't have that kind of thing in their past. And yet here's Jesus with the most important news that's ever been delivered and he's using a woman that was formerly demon-possessed to deliver it. Now you say, who's going to argue with him? Well, no one argued with him, but by their response to that woman, they still questioned his method. Look at verse number 11. And when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of, here's the problem had been seen of her. They believe not. No, this is what we know. Jesus told them he was going to rise again. Multiple times. And then along comes this woman whom they have seen the change in her life. But because, in some ways, because of, it's not because of the message, it's because of the messenger, because of who it is, because of who she was and because she is a she, and because of these ideas that we have about your value and your place in this culture, and because that hasn't been completely rooted out, we're going to doubt you, and we're, we're just, frankly, we're not going to believe you because it's you that's telling us. But Jesus didn't tolerate that. He basically took them to the woodshed in verse number, 12, verse number 14, and afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart. You go to 13, it wasn't all about it being her, but there were others that they didn't believe as well. And Jesus, he takes them behind the proverbial woodshed, but by doing that, he also validates the role that he had given her. We talked about this, that the resurrection power, if, if he can rise then he can restore. Let me just add to that. If he can rise, he can use whoever he wants. So I'm thankful that Jesus can save anyone, and I'm thankful that Jesus can use anyone, but there's a couple of problems that we encounter, and I want you to consider them. Number one, the reason Mary was useful to the Lord in part 
was because she put herself in a position to be useful. Say, what do you mean? She was as surprised as anyone that Jesus was risen from the dead, but she was there to honor him and to do the right thing, even though she was uncertain about what the future held. And because she was willing to be there and do the right thing and be in her place, she was then in a position for God to use her and entrust her with that message. You notice who wasn't with her? The disciples. You know, sometimes God's, we, we may not be, we may not be seeing God use us in all the ways that we would hope he would because we're not putting ourselves in the positions to be useful to him. And, and here's what she did. She did the right thing and she was willing to be there. To be used of God, it, it doesn't require talent nearly as much as it requires commitment and character. And you want, you want God to use your life. You want God to work in you. You want God to use you to influence and affect others. Then you understand what he's looking for. Moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. I, I obvious, it's obvious to me, I think. Mary, had, Mary Magdalene had no idea what was going on. And she, she obviously was surprised and afraid of all of that. But she was still going through the process to do the right thing and to help to help finish preparing Joseph's or excuse me Jesus' body and so just by going through the process of doing the right thing that allowed God to put her in a position to be very useful to delivering the news of his resurrection it's amazing how much God can do with a person who will just be committed to working at doing the right thing and being in their place over and over and over again. But she, here's, here's the battle she would be fighting. She wasn't doing this because it felt good. It's not like showing up felt good. It was hard, it was difficult, but this is the right thing, and so I'm gonna be here. This is the right thing, so I'm gonna be faithful. This is the right thing, so I'm gonna read my Bible. This is the right thing, and even though I don't feel it, I'm gonna pass out this track and try to, try to talk to this person. This is the right thing, so I'm gonna be at church. This is the right thing, so I'm gonna love my neighbor. This is the right thing, so I'm gonna pray for them. This is the right thing, so I'm gonna forgive them. This is the right thing, and so I'm gonna trust that God is still in control. This is the right thing, and you, so I'm gonna obey, or I'm gonna participate, or whatever whatever it is, and just by doing the right things, we are putting ourselves in a position where God can use us in greater ways than we ever imagined possible. But here's where I really want us to get this. Sometimes we can develop an attitude as, as believers, as individual believers or as a church where we become skeptical of who God can save or who he can use. And it's almost, almost like we decide that we're the ones who know who's going to be what in the kingdom of God. And I, I don't really think there's any use. I don't really think there's any point in me investing in them. I don't really think there's any use in me trying to reach out to them. I don't really think they're, they're, there's real, that person really has any significant contribution that they can make in the life of anyone else, let alone the life of this church. I really don't think that they're going to turn out to be anyone significant in God's kingdom. You say, I've never said that. Yeah, but sometimes we let that kind of mindset affect who we'll minister to and who we won't. 
absolutely. You know, you know, you know why a lady is able to a lady and a husband are able to stand up here and give a testimony about how God has worked in their life because some believers went to their door and said, "We're not the judge of who God will use and how God will use them. We're just here to share the gospel and see what happens." Well, when you do that, buckle up. Cuz God can do some really amazing things with someone's life. But we be we become skeptical. We dismiss people. Here's a, here's a few reasons we dismiss them. We dismiss them because of their past. Look, are there consequences to past decisions that you have to work through and navigate and all those things? Absolutely. But can I just remind you of some of the people who had some pretty, pretty rough things in their past that God used? God used them. You say, well, who? Well, let's start with the Apostle Paul, who was formerly named Saul, who imprisoned men and women what even participated or was involved in their execution, like Stephen. And yet, God sure used him, didn't he? We dismiss people because of their past. Look, I, listen, I am, I am, we can so easily go into the other ditch, which is, well, man, pastor just thinks any kind of lifestyle is acceptable and any kind of past is okay, and, and we just need to ignore things and sweep them under the rug. That's not at all what I'm saying. We just, we just need to allow that God can save people and he can change people. And if he has changed people, we need to allow that they are changed and just move on, praise the Lord. And don't, don't put a limit on who God can and can't change. Man, I hear things occasionally where people saying, well, a person like that in that lifestyle is never going to be saved. How do you know? Because I've heard plenty of conversations and had plenty of my own conversations where it seems like some people who were going a really long way away from God, they got saved and their life slowly and steadily turned around and God used them. We dismiss people because of their past. We dismiss people because of their station in life. Oh, it, okay. It's interesting to me. Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea was wealthy, but that's not why God used him. God used him because he was willing. Other people could have been there begging for Jesus' body. Did his resources give him opportunity? Yes, but it was his willingness that allowed that to happen. Mary Magdalene was there. She was willing to be there, and so God used her. And what's amazing to me is you have a man who's on the high end of the, the social spectrum, and you have a woman who is obviously on the low end of the social spectrum. Not only is she a woman in that time, but she was a demon-possessed woman at one time. Two opposite ends of the spectrum, and this is what God says. I'll use both of y'all. And yet we can, get this, we can get this in our mind that, man, God will really use this class of people, but this class of people. Well, hang on, hang on, hang on. We're all equal before God in this. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. No, does God put different people in different stations? Yes. Are there people who have more and people who have less, either by resources or talents? Absolutely, and God's in charge of all of those things. But they, God still uses people regardless of where they're coming from. And we can't dismiss someone's usefulness because of where they're at on our, in our perception of the social status in our culture. Man, God can use people on the low end of the totem pole to really shake up the totem pole. Here's another reason we dismiss people. We dismiss them because they don't fit the mold of what we're, 
of what we're looking for. Man, if God is going to work, then I've got my mind about the kind of person that he's going to work through. No, are there certain aspects of character and spirituality that need to be there? Absolutely. But there's a whole lot of other things that we determine are, are must when God says, no, that's not a must. That's just your preference, but I'm going to work anyway. You say, well, God will work through this kind of person when we draw a very narrow box. I mean, it's amazing the kind of people that he worked through in Scripture. Oh, yeah. Little boy brings a lunch along. A slave girl, we don't even know her name, was used to introduce Naaman to the one who could bring healing. And we can go on and on. God used people across the spectrum, but sometimes we dismiss them because they don't fit the mold of what we are looking for. And don't misunderstand this. Young people, you need to thank God that you have a mom and dad who are raising you in a home to love God and to have boundaries that protect you from the destructiveness of sin. You need to be thankful for that. Amen. Oh, but can I tell you, man, I love it when God just goes out and saves somebody that obviously has not been protected from that their whole life. And you know what, they come in and you say, well, what's going on with them? You know what's going on with them? The same God who loves these children is the same God who loves them. And they are a trophy to the grace of God. Hallelujah. Mm, It's good stuff. The power to work in us will be applied to work through us. So, again, as we move forward, can I just, can I encourage you with this? Man, we were so blessed today. I I hope you saw today what can be if we work at it and God's involved in it. You say, well, every Sunday is not like Easter Sunday. Right, but every Sunday God's working. And we just, we just need to keep inviting people. And if we'll have the same urgency for the next Sunday and the next Sunday as we did for Easter, if we'll just love people and minister to them, man, I believe we got, we got some good problems we need to deal with. Yeah, it is, it is good. Can I encourage you? Don't decide what kind of people God will reach. Don't decide what kind of people God will use. God will use a whole lot of people. God will save a lot of people and use a lot of people that maybe don't fit your, your idea mold, ideal mold if you'll just get involved in the work. Man, you don't, listen, here's what this looks like. You don't have to agree with the way people are living in order to minister the gospel to them and love them. And if you'll just minister Jesus, he'll do the necessary changing that needs to happen. He will. Just love them with the gospel. And see what God does. Let's all stand together. Man, y'all appreciate the effort, the attention. Thanks for being attentive. But I want to ask you to be responsive to the Lord. I know, I know it's been a long day. But it's been a good day. Amen. And I pray that you would allow the Lord to speak to you. And, and even if you're not struggling with viewing people this way, that doesn't mean you're reaching out to people the way that you need to. And so, as Brother Nate comes, if God has spoken to your heart in some way about this, that you would be responsive to the Lord. Maybe it's not even that. Maybe it's just saying, God, would you please use me 
Would you use us as a church? Would you help us to reach people? Would you help us to be involved in the process? So as Brother Nate begins to sing, if God has spoken to your heart, you give him the courtesy of a response. sing one more verse. Father, sure, I'm thankful that you love us. Thank you for your people and for your work and their hearts. God, thank you for a good day today. We're so grateful for allowing us to enjoy what we enjoyed and to be a part of what you are doing. And God, I know that there's physical weariness, but I pray that you would give spiritual and physical strength and that you'd help people to be encouraged and to be blessed this week. Help us to continue to be good witnesses for you and allow, uh, allow you to use us uh, to reach the people in our communities and our families at our workplaces, Lord. I just, I ask and I pray for your favor on us as we, as we move forward. Thank you for your blessing. Thank you for being who you are in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Brother Nate's going to come and lead us in a dismissal song. It's been a good night. You say, it's been a long day. Yeah, but we got to enjoy some good stuff. I was, I was watching a, the, uh, one of the basketball games last night with the boys, and you know what? It went into overtime. You know what I didn't do? Say, oh, man, this is so long. I was like, this is really, really good. It's good at a ball. You say, you always trying to take us into overtime, Pastor. I was just, man, look, that, the, the special music and the congregational singing today, way up there. It's good. And then tonight seeing these kids, man, I don't care how long it takes. That's just good stuff. And the Lord deserves it, and we benefit from it. So praise the Lord. Brother Nate, you dismiss us, and we'll look forward to either seeing you tomorrow night or on Wednesday night. God bless. All right, we're going to close with the chorus of hymn number 23, To God Be the Glory. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory, great things he hath done. Amen. We'll see you tomorrow night or Wednesday.